Some scientists say if we continue to go as we are, the ocean is going to be fully depleted by 2050. Hmm? What, is, what does that mean, fully depleted? Like, there'll be no fish in the sea. Welcome to another edition of Who's Saving the Planet? I am your host, Tony Noto, with my co-host extraordinaire, Lex Kefauber in Brooklyn. How's life there, Lex? Tony, Brooklyn's great over here. No complaints, as always. And really excited to share with everyone our conversation today with the founder and managing director of Aquaspark. Amy Novogratz. This episode was fun. Her name sounds like No Regrets. That's just such a badass name to have. And what she's doing is pretty incredible. So it's a little bit of departure from the type of companies that we featured before. What Aquaspark is, it's a fund that invests in other companies in the space of aquaponics. Now, she talks about what aquaponics is, but in short, it's basically fish farms. So more than half of all the protein that humans get comes from our oceans, comes from fishing primarily. And she is investing in companies that are creating a more sustainable supply chain for that source of protein that feeds our entire planet. Seafood is very big to me and my family. Big meal staple around the holidays. To even entertain the thoughts of no fish being in the ocean was very, very scary for me, Lex. Yeah. She talks about how dire a situation we are in currently with the fishing practices that have resulted in ocean deserts, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. And her fund is doing really well. Started out with 6.9 million euro in assets under management back in 2014. Had its first investment in 2015. And now it is at 170 million euro in assets under management. Yeah, that's great. And she's been able to see uh, a lot of return on investment in the form of dividends. So what's different about this from a venture capital firm, this is something that is more like a holding company. And the reason why that's important is that instead of hoping for one or two companies to pop off, her philosophy is, and what Aquaspark's philosophy is, is to hold these companies for the long term and to help them grow by the way that they can interact with each other to be mutually supportive. So maybe she'll invest in a fish farm and in a company that creates feed and in a company that works with distribution and something that does supply chain management to the end consumer. And by having all of these investments working together, it helps the overall fund or overall ecosystem grow very similar to how when you're in the ocean, you need each one of these parts working together in order for the whole environment to be healthy and successful. Let's take the plunge with Amy, no regrets, no regrets. You know what? And when I was in high school, this guy used to call me Amy Novogratz. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool yeah. nickname. That is a really cool nickname if you're now. Novogratz. How are you doing, Amy? Hi, it's great to talk to both of you. Oh, it's great to have you as a guest. Tell us a little bit about the fund, how it came about, and uh, what your role is in making sure it is the success that it has been. Sure. So I met my partner on an ocean conservation expedition. We brought a group of 100 people together. Uh, we, I was working with Ted at the time, running the Ted Prize, and kind of in the spirit of people getting behind big challenges and figuring out how to solve them, brought 100 people to the Galapagos to both fall in love with the ocean and realize how, the, the, realize the shape of the ocean and, and that we needed to really act urgently to help save the ocean. 
meeting my, my partner, who actually then became my life partner as well, we started kind of thinking of what we could do together and doing something in the ocean space made a lot of sense because it was our connecting point and our whole shared network came from that area. And we happened up, literally happened upon aquaculture and didn't know anything about it. You know, knew probably what everybody else knew at the time that it wasn't always good, but didn't really know what that meant. We're stunned by how big aquaculture already was then. And it was kind of mind blowing that this, this pretty massive food production industry was so opaque. We knew nothing about it. And why was that? And so we started digging and a lot of things emerged relatively quickly. There were new technologies developing, really incredible farming and farms starting that weren't necessarily commercially viable anywhere besides San Francisco or somewhere where you're gonna pay a huge premium for your sustainably farmed fish. But the potential to farm fish really sustainably was there. Um, and we saw that there was nobody really paying attention to aquaculture. And that did two things. It kind of made the, the actual aquaculture industry really open up to us and invite us in. They were encouraged and eager to have different types of thinkers and especially people potentially bringing money into the industry. And it also made us realize that there wasn't a lot of outside investment going into aquaculture. There, there was investment going into salmon and the big publicly listed uh, aquaculture operations, but most of aquaculture is smallholders. Um, nobody was really taking that on. And so we developed a really different and specific for aquaculture fund model that would allow us to help the aquaculture industry develop in the right way. So is this like when you go to the grocery store, you see on a menu wild caught versus farmed raised? Aquaculture is all things that are farmed raised? And yes. And, you know, most people don't realize that we actually, we eat just, okay, hold on. Let me jump back. <laughs> okay. More than half of the fish produced for human consumption is through aquaculture. So we farm raise more than half of the fish that we consume. We're depleting the fish in the ocean. So we're actually catching less fish than we used to. And, and the amount of fish that we're catching now is really at its limit. I mean, if you put a bunch of experts together and if you really think about kind of a strategy that's completely coordinating every nation around fishing rights and whatnot, we could potentially get some more from the sea, but it wouldn't be good for the sea. And it's pretty much generally agreed on that we, we're, we've maximized the amount of fish we're getting from the sea, but we're eating much more protein and people realize the value of seafood as, as a healthy protein. Seafood, when, when done well, aquaculture when farmed well, is way better from the environment than other types of animal proteins. So those things add up and it's aquaculture should grow. It's going to grow because we, we need this extra protein to meet demand. We want to ensure that it grows in the right way. You mentioned before that this started when you were in the Galapagos with um, a TED group of people, and that's not a lot of people named TED. That's the Technology Entertainment Design Conference, right? Yes. You must have had some sort of affinity for love for the ocean before that. Do you remember when the first time you realized that you really cared about the ocean and wanted to dedicate your life to it? So I've always had an ocean connection. I mean, I've just enjoyed the ocean a lot. Um, when I started working with Sylvia Earle, who was the TED Prize winner in 2009, I believe. I don't know if you know who she is, but... She did the documentary, right? Mission Blue. Mission Blue, yeah. Um, 
she's just, she's she's this unbelievably dedicated she's so fierce i mean she's in her 80s she gets off of a red eye and shows up at the meeting and she doesn't miss anything and she has been f fighting for the ocean health ocean's health uh harder and longer than anyone else i've come upon and and there are a lot of kind of i mean she's one of a kind for sure but there are a lot of sylvia earl type figures in the ocean ocean enthusiasts that have been out there really advocating for for the ocean are just a committed, dedicated group of people. And so just a connection and passion for the ocean, but not really like, I didn't think I would actually dedicate my life to the ocean, but I started working with this group, met my partner through it, and it just felt crazy that nobody was seeing the urgency around doing something to, to better the ocean. That I mean, we, we literally can't live on this planet without a healthy ocean. So we have to change practices. Um, and, and those things added up more than being somebody that, you know, was a lifelong, long, lifelong diver, always knowing I'd work in the ocean. You were a lifelong diver? No, it's, I wasn't a lifelong diver. Oh, you were a lifelong diver. <laughs> that, that wasn't my pathway into the ocean by any means. It was more right. about, I get excited by people that are solving something, solving right. something urgent, and I get excited by kind of dedication and real commitment to something. And the ocean had that. Well, Amy, tell us, how screwed are we in terms of the ocean? Uh, how, how bad of a situation are we in? Because you talked about urgency. How urgent is it? You know, one of the frustrating things about working in this field is how hard it is to get really consistent answers. And in a lot of ways, the answer is it depends who you talk to. But generally, the scientists I speak to say we're really, really, really screwed. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> why Not to put too fine a point in it. <laughs> I'm starting my Tuesday off very stressed yeah. out. <laughs> you know, but we're screwed about a lot of things right now. <laughs> oh, well, that's fair. Right? Yeah, that makes <laughs> a little bit throw better. the ocean into the pot. But right. at the end of the day, without the ocean, we're not going to survive on this planet. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty there's a pretty hearty competition for Armageddon these days. So <laughs> let's just throw in ocean annihilation into the into the mix. Uh, but the, but there is hope in the sense that the ocean can actually regenerate itself. I mean, there are great examples of what happens when you protect an area of the ocean. Sea life comes back. The ocean regrows. It's it, it like our bodies, right? Uh, most parts of our bodies they have the ability to regenerate, and the ocean is a great example of that. And, and that was one of the things that I got struck by with the ocean. Is like, let's just do what we can to alleviate some of this pressure, give it a fighting chance. Like, yeah, that, that's really encouraging because I remember when the BP oil spill happened a few years ago. I remember the first thing I asked myself was, is this damage just irreparable? I mean, some, some scientists say if we continue to go as we are, the ocean is going to be fully depleted by 2050. What is what does that mean? Fully depleted. Like there'll be no fish in the sea. No oh my fish. goodness! Isn't it amazing how quickly we've wrought so much devastation? This is a this ocean's been evolving for. I'm going. I'm not even going to guess, but billions of years for sure. And just in a few hundred, we've been able to upend what is such a massive ecosystem if you look it up the, the actual like the real trouble has happened in decades not even in centuries like it's wow. it's really just plummeted with how we've been you know it's plastics it's it's pollution it's overfishing is yeah. overfishing the main culprit or do you think it's more industrial you know overfishing plays a, a big role for sure 
I mean, when it comes to depleting the ocean, it's it's a big part of it. But um, I, you know, I think probably most experts would say ocean acidification, um, climate right. change is the biggest area to solve. I was surprised when I when I found out that um, the ocean absorbs over seventy percent of the carbon dioxide that we emit. So it doesn't just go into the atmosphere. The ocean is the largest receptacle for that, and it has changed the pH value in the ocean overall by a demonstrable level, which is amazing considering how big the ocean is. Mm -hmm. So here we are now. We've established recognition of this uh, of this monumental challenge that we have. What was the impetus to then say the way to tackle this problem is to create a vehicle to support smaller enterprises or more entrepreneurial enterprises? Two things. One is uh, my partner who I've, I've been building this with is a lifelong entrepreneur who gets very excited about you know, supporting entrepreneurial ideas. And we were always looking for a business solution around mm -hmm. ocean health. Um, and then, you know, though we entered this space through the concern for the ocean, once you start digging into this space, you see so much else on the table around just, just, just justice, uh, around uh, environmental damage of, of uh, food production, around how healthy and transparent our food is. Um, with aquaculture in general, there's a lot of slavery issues. And all of that kind of led to thinking like how we knew we wanted to do something in aquaculture. And we thought we really needed to get to know the industry. So we dove in and again, I kind of said already, the industry was really generous with inviting us in, giving us information, advice, helping us figure it out. They originally said, you know, a, a VC or a private equity model was never going to work in aquaculture, mostly because of the timeline around them. Aquaculture is long-term, takes a lot of time and a lot of capital to really get a, a farm, a sustainable farm up and running and producing fish. And so mm -hmm. you need partners for a while there. But we started again, noticing that nobody was financing aquaculture. We also started seeing solutions in aquaculture. So where we were first thinking maybe we'd invest in a couple of farms and then bring other investors into farming operations, we realized that there were no farms that were really that investable at that point that we needed. We needed to change feed. The current general feed ingredients are pretty unsustainable in our opinion. We needed better ways to treat and manage disease. Uh, we needed technology to enter aquaculture. And so when you started kind of thinking about how to fix aquaculture, it was all across the value chain. It was really a whole system redesign. And then also, this is specific to our fund model, helping them support each other to really kind of create this whole system of aquaculture really emerged from that kind of initial thinking conversations with the industry and where we thought change could happen. Does the meshing of all these uh, technologies and missions, does that help the pitch process in getting these investors on board? Into the fund or into the companies or both? Both. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I think because our structure was so unique initially, it actually kind of scared people a little bit. Aquaculture was a really new space. Everyone said it wasn't their area, but it was nobody's area. Nobody was investing in it. Um, and the synergistic portfolio was different and interesting, but a little bit weird. I would think now with where we are, the, the synergistic kind of essence of our portfolio and the fact that we have a really big network 
to mitigate risks wherever we are. And this whole network is aligned on the same vision of aquaculture right. that is actually a huge plus around and, uh, kind of making investors feel, feel more secure about this investment and is helping now get investments, investors on board. What was it like the first time that you went to an investor and said, here's my vision, give well, me funny. money? I was going to make a joke earlier about how when we first started, the first question was always, what is aquaculture? And how it's so nice that we were <laughs> wrong. Right. Our conversation started with the same thing. So, but, uh, so after you explained to people what aquaculture was, and then they said, wow, this is a huge problem. And then you said, great, go grab your checkbook. So, you know, I mean, we were, uh, my background wasn't in investing. My partner had been investing a lot and he had built companies. We had a really strong team with uh, finance professionals, but still people wanted to see us prove ourselves. They liked the idea that it was lofty, ambitious. They got it. They didn't believe in aquaculture was an investable area because they thought more people would be investing in it if they, there it was. Yeah. They wondered why more people weren't investing in it. That scared them a little bit. So it took us probably nine months to raise, and we ended up closing with 6.9 million euro. We have a set valuation at different periods throughout the year, and so you buy shares at that set share value. So when investors come in, they're invested in the entire portfolio, which actually allows us to maximize synergies like we were talking about and stay in for the long haul. We don't feel any pressure to exit. How would I recruit my investment or how do you get liquid? A pun totally not intended, but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so mostly through dividends. You can actually, we, we had a lockup period for a, a, an initial part, it just expired. And so you can now actually sell your shares or you can redeem them. Um, and if we raise extra capital during our fundraising cycle, we can buy them back. Um, or you can sell them to uh, somebody that we pre-approve. But other than that, if you're going to stay in the fund, it's more of a dividend structure. And at the end of the day, when we've really created our, our kind of massive showcase of sustainable aquaculture, our investors and us will decide together, well, what should we do? Should we list this whole thing? Should we break it up right. and sell the pieces? Should we sell the whole thing to somebody? And so when we talk about the return, we kind of, we, you know, calculate the, the dividend profile and the ultimate value of all of these uh, mm. of the portfolio. The more these companies can help each other, the again with this terrible metaphor, but the all boats rise with the tide. So the more <laughs> that you can have these companies uh, synergistically supporting each other, the more value you're going to be able to return overall. Absolutely, and because we're in a mission based, the more you do that, the closer you get to the impact you want to make, and right. so. It, it aids in both ways. What other uh, investment vehicles are there like this that, like you said, have this mission-based thesis along with needing to be able to prove prove out an investment return for your LPs? Yeah, sounds very and unique. It actually is based off of a very old school kind of holding company. I mean, most family yeah. offices that join us get it instantly because it's their model. But uh, for a fund model, because we actually technically are a fund, we're a cooperative fund based in the Netherlands. Um, and for a fund model, it is pretty unique. When you talk to investors who have a, a market thesis, right? Or let's say they invest in mobile technology or something like that. There's often this idea of you don't want to have a conflict of interest if you're going to invest in multiple companies that are going after the same customers or are competing in the same space. The idea being, you know, the pie is only so big. But 
the philosophy that you have is is much more holistic in that like the problem is is of a global scale and you need to feed people so it's not as though you're trying to get a limited number of customers to buy a thing that are mutually exclusive i it's it's just a very it's a very different way to think about how to make money work when you break down the different kind of verticals of aquaculture too i mean if you look at feed and we were invested in an insect company and also a company that produces a microbial alternative to fish meal. Right. When you look at how much feed we need just for aquaculture, it's like eight times the amount of feed we currently have now. It, these are challenges at a massive scale. I mean, yeah. we, have, we have a technology company in Indonesia that is really killing it right now. It's one of the most exciting companies in our portfolio. We got in really early with them. If they did nothing other than just capture the Indonesian market, it's four and a half million fish farms in one country. So aquaculture, and that's what we're trying to do. Nobody was really looking at aquaculture as one big connected industry. People were looking at salmon or, you know, European aquaculture or U.S. aquaculture, was, which is pretty minimal. There's not a lot of aquaculture in the U.S. But where we look, we're kind of species uh, agnostic, systems agnostic, geography agnostic. We look at the industry as a whole, where we can kind of learn from each other, benefit from each other, where we can shift markets to start to value sustainable practices more share technologies. You definitely can think about in, uh, investing vertically up and down the supply chain in order to be able to, you know, you control things from from upstream and downstream. I'm so sorry with these. You know, you, I should have warned you. Completely yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's really, it's, it's, it's something that's real. When you're in this space, you make so many bad opens. <laughs> really sorry about that. But yeah, you can see like, let's, you know, if you're Uber, maybe you want to also invest in something that does uh, automated driving and something else that improves the way that you manage your employees or what have you. But you're not necessarily going to go also invest in Lyft because that's sort of a zero sum game. But you guys can do both a vertical and a horizontal uh, way of maximizing the efficiency as like this global idea, which seems a whole lot like the ecosystem that is an ocean. But that's how it works. So you, right. you got one piece of the ecosystem and it doesn't function anymore. Yeah. And so if you look at, so right now we have 20 portfolio companies and the goal is to get to 60 to 80 portfolio companies. Amy. Give us an idea as how global this uh, portfolio is. Uh, you mentioned Indonesia. Are there companies in the United States or in Canada or in the Western Hemisphere? Or is it really everywhere? We have we have a Canadian aqua technology company that's kind of a pretty incredible AI company that uses data to you know, make that shrimp farming more efficient and and really is increasing the value of sustainably farmed shrimp. And oh wow what they can kind of tell about the shrimp as it's being produced from the color to the softness, the texture, they can kind of, uh, you know, monitor for disease early, help you prescribe the right feed ingredients and the feed formula formulation, um, and really change the way you, you farm shrimp to, we have a sea cucumber farm in Madagascar. Um, wow. We have um, the, the microbial company I mentioned earlier is Menlo Park based. It's a Silicon Valley biotech company. We have farms in uh, Mozambique, tilapia farm in Brazil, in Iceland, in Norway. We have a spirulina company in Thailand. We have one market access company, Love the Wild, based in the U.S., that's currently in a pivot moment, but we'll invest in a lot of market access companies to help kind of take this message of sustainable aquaculture and the knowledge around how the fish was produced directly to the consumer. 
we look all over the world and if they're solving something in aquaculture and they're going to benefit from our ecosystem and, and, and add something to it, it feels like that in itself becomes the, the gateway to knowing it's a good match. And then if it has a really strong team behind it with an aligned vision and they're kind of willing to work toward what we are, it works out. What are you working towards? What is the grand vision? We saw the potential of aquaculture, right? We saw that aquaculture can be the most resource efficient uh, means of producing animal protein. Um, we saw that we could do it without antibiotics, with really sustainable feed ingredients, and produce healthy, sustainable protein that's accessible to everyone around the world um, really efficiently. So it's, it's really looking at the fastest growing food production system right now and helping it to develop in a way where we know we can do it really, really well in balance with, with the planet. Are there any misconceptions about fish farming and aqua cultivation that you want to put to rest? Like, is there, are there any annoying theories or false theories out there that you think, now let me, let me set the record straight here? You know, I mean, especially in the U.S., you, we mentioned it early on in this conversation where you kind of are constantly approached with the idea of aquaculture or, or wild caught, and everyone just assumes wild caught is the best choice. It's not always the best choice. I actually don't eat wild cod. I eat aquaculture when I know how it was produced. One of the problems is it's really hard to know exactly how your aquaculture was produced. And if we're getting better at it with certification systems and labeling schemes and whatnot, but it's still really far from perfect. But I think just, I think knowing that there's really great aquaculture and putting pressure on your fishmonger and restaurants to know, want to know more about aquaculture and how it was produced and making the right choices around aquaculture when you can. I think especially some sea species are really, they're really in the red. We should really leave them apart. Uh, you know, we should keep them in the wild and, and not eat. Which, which, which species are those? I mean, you know, we have an Atlantic halibut farm in Norway. And if you look at Atlantic halibut, there are actually some distributors in, in the UK that refuse to sell wild caught Atlantic halibut at this point because it's so red listed. Uh -huh. um, the, the farm version we have in Norway is, it's land-based, they pump water in from the deep. It's kind of as sustainable as it can get. And, and Atlantic halibut are really efficient fish that uh, they convert food really well. So you can actually grow a kilo of halibut for less than a kilo of feed. It's, it's a great sustainability story. You know, th there's certain fish species like tuna that some people are trying to farm. And some species of tuna, they're starting to farm relatively well. but they're just not necessarily right for aquaculture. If you look at how much energy they burn, the kind of life they want of swimming and being free, and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the food conversion ratio, which you hear a lot when you talk about producing protein, how much feed you need to grow a certain kilo of tuna, it is way too high. You might as well produce beef. So there, there are certain species that aren't right for aquaculture. And I guess it's, it's, it's a lot to ask of people to kind of learn about this, but people should know what they're eating and how it was produced. Great point. How can me or Tony, us lay people here in the United States that are already backwards and 12 ways from Sunday compared to <laughs> other people in the world, how can we take responsibility over what we're eating in a way that is you know, realistic? because we're not necessarily going to be able to go into every grocery store situation or restaurant situation and 
have perfect transparency? I mean, in most most counters that you buy fish at will have some kind of certification or label um, on it. So if you see ASC, it's the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, or there's the best aquaculture practices, and you can ask the, the person behind the counter kind of what they stand for. It, it's imperfect, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. So paying attention to those labels and choosing those fish there are guides like the Monterey Bay Aquarium has a really great guide that lets you know kind of if where you know that rates different farms by colors of whether you should you should have it red, yellow, green, which mm-hmm. for themselves. A lot of these brands like Love the Wild did a really great job of talking about the benefits from aquaculture. What the questions you should ask are. Their website is live and up, um, and there are a number of other brands out there doing the same. Our global supply chains right now are as strained as they ever have been with the economy, the global economy in a state of shock. Your investments span the globe. How do you see the idea of globalism as something that can be a benefit coming up against this threat of, or this at least perceived threat of what it is to have an entirely intertwined global economy? How do you see that playing out over the next two, three, five years? I think if you look at what's happening right now with Corona, the best kind of silver lining we can get out of it is the the realization of how interconnected we are, how dependent we are on each other and each other doing well and thriving. Um, and, and, and that comes to all of us having access to healthy food, right? I mean, eating eating healthy protein when you're young develops your brain in a certain way. Like we, we yes. want a smart world that's thinking, thinking, A, thinking, but thinking in the right way about how to solve these problems. I also know from our kind of collaborative approach that uh, bringing different types of thinking together around how to solve something, you get a way better result. And you get a way better result that's, it's, that's easier to replicate and to bring into different places rather than just this way of thinking entering all of these different markets. Yeah. Um, and I think it really scares me, even though I get kind of everyone's real human desire, like we're all reptiles at heart for security everywhere. But it scares me to think that there's a chance that this moment actually goes in the opposite direction and and makes us more divided and exclusive. I don't Do think you, it will though. You don't think it will. I I think if you look at like who we are as humans, we're social creatures. I and mean, if you look at like who who survived in the early days it, it was groups that formed communities, right? I mean, now we live in this global community and it's, it's radically different for a lot of people. I mean, I actually, when we started this call, was thinking, how awesome is it that after six weeks at home, I feel like I'm in the room with you guys on Zoom. We still want to be that way. Like we adapt really, really quickly. And that's exciting. And I think what we do know uh, around evolution is that adaptability and community are the two kind of strongest points to make sure you're going to survive. Yeah. And those are both things that are needed for a kind of global food systems and all of us succeeding together in life. We've got two more questions for you before you, we let you go, if that's all right. Okay. Yeah. And I think I know my answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You may or may not remember this old cartoon called Captain Planet. Uh, Captain Planet was this hero. His mission was very much like yours. He was summoned by five teenagers, each with a power ring. Each ring represented a different element. One was earth, one was wind, one was water, one was fire, and one was heart. And so we ask every guest that we have on the show, which one of those elements 
represents them the best. I mean, I feel like I have to say water, but I really want to say heart. <laughs> Good for you. Follow, you follow your heart. You don't have to say anything. And then the um, second question we have, Lex, take it away. Well, our second question is, what can we do for you? What can we, how can we, how can our audience, how can we be of service? Getting the story out there and helping people kind of understand the impact of their choices and the need to know more, have more information in order to make those right choices is, is a huge first step. You know, I mean, it'd be great to introduce you to some aquaculture companies that really are transforming aquaculture and absolutely saving the planet. Perfect. That was going to be my ask of you. We would love to be introduced to companies that you know of that are pushing the boundaries for how we can do good while also creating a business model for sustainability. Yeah. And if they're making better tasting shrimp, I definitely want to know them. <laughs> it's just not, not to frighten you, but I've had very little shrimp since I started in this line of work. Shrimp <laughs> Fairly, the most sustainably produced thing out there yet, but it is it is getting better for sure. Okay, excellent. Oh, uh, what a cliffhanger! We're gonna have to bring you back on in a couple of months <laughs> to get this the shrimp sequel. <laughs> Seeing as our self titled podcast is "Who's Saving the Planet," we very much appreciate people like you and you specifically, Amy, that are that are putting in that kind of good energy into the universe and following it up with the important work and the important deeds. So thank you for that. You guys are great. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, you very Amy. much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet? I think that we should make this episode out to, how about all the people that are no longer baking bread because that's not a cool thing to do anymore. Yeah, it wasn't because they were using bread makers and it's the easiest freaking thing to do. What? Making bread is like impossible. In the bread maker? Oh, I don't know about in the bread maker. Just I, that's how I that's how they were doing it. Was it the freaking bread maker? It makes it like an it's like an easy bake oven for millennials. Oh, I had no idea. I went to culinary school for a hot minute, and like the cooking <laughs> part was fine, but the making bread, baking, oh, that is a science that's, in and of itself. That's why old grandmothers are geniuses because they did it in like their sleep. Keep it up, sleeping grandmothers, and thank you for not doing that anymore. Instagram social events. <laughs> for you. It's for you guys. Keep going strong. Make your kombucha. Ferment your kimchi. Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe wherever podcasts can be subscribed. And what else, Lex? We'd love to hear your feedback, as always. Hello at savingtheplanetpod.com. Shoot us a line, shoot us a question. Down the road, we're going to be doing a user feedback episode. So we will be taking your questions and, and replying to them. So please don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>